Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Download more sermons or learn about the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene at our website, capenazarene.org. Here's this week's message. I'm going to read for you today from uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who who used to sit and beg? Some, some were saying, it is he, and others were saying, well, well no, but, but, but someone like him. And he kept saying, well, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, well, where is he? And he said, well, I don't know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. They said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. And he answered, well, I don't know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, though I was blind... Now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him, saying, you are his, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answered, well, here's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. Those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we're not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This story is about a man born blind, someone who does not see at all, has never seen the world. This is one of those things where um, when something like this happens, people wonder what went wrong. Right? The number one prayer when uh, uh, you're with child or your, your wife is with child is, please God, let them have all their fingers and toes, let them, uh, you know, let, let them be a safe, healthy baby. Right? That's the prayer. In fact, often uh, the first announcement with this, this, of the birth of a child, besides the height and the weight and the hours of labor, is uh, a happy and healthy baby. Right? That is what we want. That is, that is our desire. And, 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 and I suspect when things don't quite go that way, all of a sudden doubt and concern comes in. Oh no. Oh no, what happened? Why did this happen? Did I do something wrong? And so there's all kinds of questions that come in, into mind. Some benign ones that have no bearing at all, like did I take the wrong prenatal vitamin? Or did something happen that one time I fell? Or, or something, or, or even more active, oh, maybe I shouldn't have taken those drugs. Like, like all kinds of numbers of things that go into saying, is this something that I caused? Am I at fault in some way? And of course... Uh, and this time, that was absolutely a part of the conversation. But the difference was, without all the advances of medicine, sometimes allows us to get very clear pictures while still in the womb. It was very normal for them to say what for us is now abnormal. Yeah, you probably messed up. <laughs> and so that was a part of the line of thinking. If someone's born blind, somebody messed up along the way. Either, either that child, for some odd reason, isn't in the grace of God, or the parents aren't because of some way in which they messed up, either in taking care of that child or in their relationship with God. They have sinned in some way. And, uh, be, and they are facing this blindness because of it. And so for the rest of his life, he does not, or, or up until this point, does not see a thing. And sight, of course, is one of the most important things for us. It's how we do just about everything. For me, my sight is very important and has been for a long time. I wear contacts every single day because I want to be able to see. I'm as blind as a bat, can't see anything without them. Jen used to chuckle at me at, at the things I would trip over when I would take out my contacts if I didn't have my glasses in. Uh, when I went, uh, I just came back from vacation. One of the things we did is we went swimming with my family, and every time we go 
swimming, I have to make a decision. Am I going to take out my contacts and not know whether I'm swimming next to a family member or a stranger? (laughs) Or am I going to leave them in and deal with red eye the next day? (laughs) Like, those are just decisions I have to make because... um, because I want to be able to see what's going on around me. Uh, when I got these contacts when I was a senior, my mom wouldn't let me get them earlier because uh, she didn't want to have to pay for them. So I had to wait till I had a job, and then uh, I could pay for those. And at first, it was vanity, right? Because I remember as a kid being made fun of for having glasses. I didn't want to have glasses, so I was looking forward to that. But as I got into high school, I realized it wasn't so much a vain thing anymore as, uh, as I was getting more and more involved in athletics, and I had taken one too many like basketballs off the rim into my face. And so glasses just kept breaking, and, and I was getting into volleyball, and I loved volleyball, but one of the key things you have to do in volleyball is you have to jump above the net to try to block a ball. Well, they're hitting it all in this area. <laughs> and so like, like wearing contacts was very important. But I wasn't always smart with that. When I first went to college, I went with exactly one pair. And within the first week, one of them ripped, which means I couldn't wear glasses. Or couldn't wear contacts, I had to wear my glasses. And well, my glasses were broken. And so like, they would like, tape that earpiece on, and it looked funny. It was hanging off to the left. And the day I met Jen... Sleeping on those college mattresses was not comfortable, and so I had a crick in my neck. And so my head's facing this way, my glasses are facing this way, and somehow Jen saw me and still like, ah, oh, he looks all right. So, I mean, talk about a blind person story, right? Like, <laughs> but anyway, uh, she, she stuck around. And so here we are. So vision has always been something that's incredibly important uh, for me. And, th- and of course, for everyone, for all of us, and absolutely in this story. So they're wondering, what's happened? What's gone wrong? And I think a key verse I think we need to mention here in verse 5 that Jesus uses to help us understand this entire passage is is verse 5. It's right after he says, hey, we got to work while it's day. It's hard to do any work at night, and that's true. Without any streetlights, it's hard to get anything done. You're going to mess up unless, I mean, the full moon's the best bet you've got. And even then, you can't see uh, as well as you can during the day. But he says this in verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We see, because of the sun, we see everything uh, so much, you know, it's all because it's clear. As I was reading scripture, I was like, oh, did the sun go behind a cloud for a moment? I was like a shadow at one point in time when I was first reading. Like, like the sun plays a big part in how we see the world. We, we understand the way the world works by the, the systems of sun and reflection of light and all those kinds of things. And so we are used to looking at the world in those kinds of terms and scientific terms. We know how light works and refracts and, okay, that's how we see things. And Jesus is saying to them, yeah, you guys know. This is the way the world works, but I'm telling you, if you really want to understand the world that God has created and how we are to live in this world and how we are to see things in this world, there's going to be a different source of light, and that's going to be in Jesus Christ. And so that verse colors for us the entire understanding of what is happening in verse 9. This ends up not being a chapter about, about where sin comes from, although that is dealt with in, in many ways, but is a chapter about where is the source of how we see the world. 
And so this man uh, goes to Jesus, uh, or Jesus approaches this man. He hasn't, he hasn't said anything in the passage yet. He hasn't gone to Jesus first and said, Lord, I believe. I've heard you're the Messiah. I know who you are. Can you heal me? Nothing else is working. Not one of those stories. We get other healing stories that precisely have that. In this, this is Jesus approaching him first. If there's ever a passage that shows us that sometimes God moves in the life of someone before we have accepted faith, before we've recognized who Jesus Christ is, it's this passage. Jesus goes to him first. And sometimes we're surprised that God might be opening up the eyes or working in the life of someone that that we can't even begin to see yet. But Jesus approaches him and puts mud on his eyes. Now, Jesus is no, like, facial rejuvenation expert or something. Like, it's not that kind of mud. He's just, it's just his spit. It's some dirt. He puts it on his eyes and says, I want you to go and then wash in the pool of Siloam. And, uh, and he does, and he sees. This pool uh, has kind of stuck in the memory uh, of people as a pool where healing was received. We came to Maine from a church in Siloam Springs. Um, and this, this, they, it was uh, Springs in Arkansas that they named uh, Siloam Springs as a, as a way of uh, kind of like hoping that people would see the springs in their town as a, as a place for rejuvenation and relaxation and healing. And it's funny, and while, of course, that's not the case anymore. In fact, they don't even have springs anymore. Um, uh, it, is, it, it was for us still a, a, a great place, a place of reconnecting, a, a place of uh, uh, rejuvenating in terms of our ministry. But I found that location is also, they told me, uh, was known as having the most churches in America per capita <laughs> than anywhere else. Uh, and, uh, and it was kind of interesting to move from Siloam Springs, where there's like a church on every block, to, to uh, near Portland, Maine, which is one of the, the most post-Christian, kind of like unchurched kind of areas uh, in America, a, a quite distinction. But each place still with its, own, with its own challenges. But that area was yet a way in which, okay, they at least identified there is, we're, we want to be a people who are pointing to Jesus, in, in, in whatever way they could. But uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of an aside of uh, kind of what I think of when I think of uh, the Pool of Siloam. I'm like, okay, I, I remember serving in a place that was named after this passage. But anyway, uh, Jesus heals him. He washes. And people start to ask, wait a minute, who is this guy? It can't be him, can it? Like, this, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that uh, there are these, well, where's Jesus now? We want to see how this is happening. We want to see what the trick is. We want to see what's going on. I, I, I can't help but think there might be someone wondering, hey, is there some way to market this? You know, if, if we can somehow mix Jesus' saliva with mud, can we sell this or something? Like people are wondering, what's going on here? Who is this guy? And then enter in the Pharisees. These are the people who, who are kind of just making sure that uh, their nation is following all the ordinances of God, and they are tasked with that. And they've heard about this, and they're nervous, and they're scared. They don't want anyone following Jesus at all. 
They don't like that people are starting to call him Messiah. It's dangerous to have someone called the Messiah. It's not only dangerous for them, and it is, because he's getting honor and they're not, and he's getting popularity and they're not, and they're turning to him for God's understanding rather than themselves, but it goes deeper than that as well. They have a history of people claiming to be Messiahs, claiming to be of the lineage of David. We heard from uh, Samuel, uh, uh, the reading in Samuel, about uh, uh, the, of how David comes to become king. And, uh, and, and that story is a story that has been a part of their narrative, part of their whole country history. And so they've had people in the past say, oh, I'm tied to David, and I'm going to be the next leader, and I'm going to overthrow Rome, and it always ended badly. It always ended with that person and their young children who had followed him in death or in chains. And so no one wants that. Rome's here to stay for a while, and they don't want anyone else following the next so-called Messiah who's going to bring up the sword and take care of these people. And so the Pharisees are trying to safeguard their country, their children, from people who constantly keep coming up saying they're the next descendant of David. And so they immediately address us and say, okay, there's one thing that we know. If this person is from God, because that is where all miracles come from, the world operates in an ordered way, in an ordered fashion. I think sometimes we look back at the people of antiquity and think, oh, they must not have been as rational or as scientific as we are, but I think, they, I think in many ways they were. And I, I, and I think they knew, well, if there's something miraculous, if there's something that happens outside the natural order of things, well, that has to come from God. But we know that nothing's going to come from God through someone who isn't godly. That doesn't make sense at all. And so they're asking, who is this person? And how can he be godly? Because he did this on a day that God himself said, you shouldn't do anything, but yet he made this mud that seemed to work to heal this person. And they, and they are trying their best to try to recreate this because the story doesn't make sense. Today, when stories don't make sense, we go to videos. We have videos of everything to try to make sense of things. We have uh, in classrooms, you have videos. So, if, so if, if someone bullies another child or, or, or something goes wrong, you can look at it and you can say, oh, well, here's what happened. You can see that. Police officers now wear body cams all the time. So that if someone says, well, I didn't do that, they say, well, yeah, you did. We caught it. Or if the report says this is what we did, oh, body cam says different, we have that. Uh, in every store you go in, there's cameras. I didn't steal. I didn't steal. Well, the camera says, or, you know, like there's, there's cameras everywhere. Sports. We love those cameras in sports because we want to see that instant replay frame by frame to see where the ref messed up, right? Like that's what we, that's what we want. We want to be able to know the story beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so the Pharisees are trying to figure this out because, yes, it seems like he's seen, but we didn't see this, and it doesn't make sense. Blind people don't just see again. And we know that's true. It makes no sense. We know how blindness works from any number of ways. Something gets in the way from allowing you to see, 
And so like there are surgeries sometimes to remove that cloud, to remove that obstruction. Or perhaps the cones and rods aren't firing correctly in the eyeball and there's something wrong there and we've got to figure that out. Or perhaps it's, it's the nerves that go from the, the eye to the brain. Okay, maybe that's been damaged or severed and that's why they can't see. Or maybe there's, there's a deformity or a deficiency in, the, in that part of the brain that does sight. Maybe that's it. We know that like, there are all kinds of like, explanations for why someone might be blind. What doesn't make sense is that mud would fix any one of those. But yet there it is. And the Pharisees are saying, did anyone see this? Was this caught on video? What's going on here? And so they call him the parents. Was he really blind? Okay. And the parents, of course, are scared. Because they know if they get on the wrong side that uh, they're going to be kicked out. And so they're afraid. They say, ask him. So they call him in a second time. And we start to see this kind of power dynamic of the power that the Pharisees have over them. That the parents are afraid. And the Pharisees are continuing to grill this man as if maybe he'll say the answer they want him to say. It's like what happens when, uh, when an adult talks to a small child and wants to ask him a question about what happened. There's two ways you can ask. You can ask it open-ended and get their story. Or you can ask it in a way that hints at the answer you want. Hey, did you do this? <laughs> did you do X, Y, or Z? And, and, and what, what's, with a young child, what will happen is they'll look at you and try to think of the answer you want them to say. And sometimes they won't say what happened. They'll say what they, they think you want to answer. And so that's kind of how this begins as well. In verse 24, when they say, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. This is what, in a court, they say, objection leading the witness. Like, like they're telling him, this is what we want you to say. And, um, and, the, and the guy doesn't. He just says, no, I'm telling you exactly what happened. I couldn't see. Next thing you know, I feel the coolness of the mud over my eyes. He tells me to walk to a pool. I'm walking to a pool. It's starting to cake and flake, and it feels funny. And I go to a pool, and I wash it off. And lo and behold, when the water clears from my eyes, I can see. And I can see things I never saw before. I can see, I can see color in the trees. I can see faces of people. I can see the streets. I know the difference between a dirt path and a cobblestone ro- a Roman path. I know the difference between... Uh, a sheep that has a blemish and a sheep that does not, the kinds of things you make big deals about, the kinds of things that I didn't ever make a big deal about because they all tasted the same to me. But yet, finally, I can see the kinds of things people have issues with. I can see why people might make a big deal about the color of the carpet in the church. I know that's, a, that's kind of like a meme at this point, right? I can see why people, people uh, wonder, oh, is he reading from the Bible or is he reading from his phone? Before it didn't matter because I could hear it all the same. Or am I reading from the pulpit or reading from over there? It wouldn't have mattered to someone who was blind because they could still hear it. It still sounds like it's in front of a microphone. He says, all of a sudden, I can see. He doesn't say all of that. But I imagine in that moment, when he's granted sight, he's able to see the ridiculousness of things that happen among us who see. Who say, what what we see with our eyes from the light of the sun is what is most important. And what is most important to this one is what he sees now from what Jesus has opened his eyes to. And the Pharisees 
can't handle this. And they, so they go back into, well, what we all do when we don't like how the argument's going. We fall back into uh, debate, we, 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 uh, name-calling. We fall back into uh, the old, uh, old tropes. Oh, he was born in sin. So that's what they do in verse 34. You were born entirely in sins. Are you trying to teach us? Who are you to try to tell us what happened? Yeah, I know we asked, but you were born in sin. So get out of here. Like, they didn't like how it was going, so they just go back to insults. Fall back to name-calling. If only those old-time believing Pharisees could see as clearly as the new believer. And he is a new believer. Jesus, when he meets with him, is going to say, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And when it's made... Uh, when it's made known to him that it is Jesus, he calls him Lord. To call him Lord is both a term of respect, but also a term of authority. And it is a term of authority in the face of none other than Caesar, the very people they don't want Messiahs getting in the way of. For the Caesars used to make claims such as, they are the Lord above all the other lords that they have conquered. But yet, we understand that in Jesus, he is the true Lord of lords. And so this, uh, this man starts to see Jesus for who he is. He catches a glimpse of Jesus and the work of God, and he believes. The Pharisees have been looking for Jesus this whole time, and they cannot see him. It could be said they can't find him. But I think it's important to note in the distinction here, they don't get a chance to see him. So much of faith is being willing to recognize that sometimes we don't have the clearest picture of God or even of how God works in life. That there's still many areas in which we have questions, that we have doubts, that we have concerns. And because of those concerns, we can often assume that our faith is weak or someone else's faith is weak and that somehow maybe, you know, uh, you know God has manipulated things a certain way because we're wondering why things are, but... Yet, this passage reminds us that God sometimes looks at the world differently than we do. That uh, the most important thing is to have the way in which we look at one another in this world sourced in Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, I had a membership class. It was great. We had three people come and talk about wanting to become members of the church, and it was wonderful. And I had, and I had to say what I, what, what I prefer to say in all my membership classes, hey, we're getting to the part where, where we look at what the church of the Nazarene says is what a Christian looks like. And there's all kinds of do's and do nots that uh, are tied to Scripture but are worded differently, and, and, and here they are. And I, and I had to say, you know, it could be very easy for us to say, now this is the new line of measurement. But I want you to know the most important thing is that we're tied to Christ. That everything about who we are is tied to a relationship with Christ and how that... Uh, plays out in our relationship with others. We're not going to get hung up on the different do's and do nots. We're not going to play the game that the Pharisees here do. Those who are blind don't see the spots on the lamb. And so um, uh, this is a story of uh, someone who is blind getting the opportunity to see Jesus for the first time, and it changes his look for the whole world. There is a hymn writer who uh, has a wonderful quote that has stayed with me. Her name is Fanny uh, Crosby, 
She has written some great songs, To God Be the Glory. One we'll probably be singing at our Good Friday service, Near the Cross. And another one of my favorites, Blessed Assurance. And a number of different hymns uh, that are in our hymn book you could find by Fanny Crosby. She had a great ear, good voice, wonderful with music. And she was born blind. Could not see. And so she was this wonderful musician, never could see. And as she had written these songs and got to be a little bit more well-known, someone came up to her and said, wow, it's amazing you did all this while you're blind. Uh, Don't you imagine what you could have done if you could see. Don't you wish God had restored your vision? Uh, And Fanny says, oh, no. Oh, no. Because I have the blessing of knowing that, when, that uh, the first thing I am going to see in my life is going to be my Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was her testimony, that she knew that when at the resurrection, when she is joined with Jesus Christ, that she is going to be, and her body is renewed, she is going to see him, and it's going to be the first thing she sees in her life, and she could not be filled with more joy about that. In the face of blindness... Her source of sight was Jesus Christ. Same with the man in this story. And this is a reminder for us that in the workings of our world that we can often look and say, well, this is how the world works, or this is just how business is done, or this is how things have to happen. That is indeed the way in which we've gotten used to looking at the world. But John chapter 9, the story of Jesus reminds us The light of the world isn't just sourced by the way in which we're used to seeing how things operate, but comes from Jesus Christ, and he wants to open up his eyes to what God is doing and will continue to do in our life and the lives of those around us. It it has been kind of my my thought to to think this through, through the the lens of the person who was born blind. I just can't help but think of all the things he saw for the first time that would have been a big deal to someone who had vision. The things of of the church that would have been a big deal. For him to be able to look and see, oh, that lamb, you care whether that lamb sacrificed or you care whether that animal fits the code? I wouldn't have cared at all. I couldn't even see that. That animal was still friendly towards me when I couldn't see or that animal still tasted good in the stew or whatever it is. It wouldn't have mattered to me. And so in the same way now, his eyes are opened and he gets to see the kinds of things that often matter have to be looked at through the lens of Jesus and the love and grace that he has for us and for the world around us. And even in moments when we can't see clearly what God is doing and where he's at work, we can acknowledge that the one who is still at work and that we can ask and pray for God to open up our eyes and see indeed how he is still engaged In the life of loved ones who have yet to make the testimony, Lord, I believe, yet to see clearly that this one is indeed the Son of Man. And so we continue to go before the Lord, asking Him to open up eyes and to allow us to see and live in this world as if indeed God is the Creator, Jesus is our Savior, and He is the source of our light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to look at things differently, (laughs) to see the way you would want us to see. 
that uh, you might call us to love boldly, to uh, be gracious, to share mercy, to, uh, to live out our lives in a way that gives honor to you and to say the way of the world is not my way, but the path of Jesus is the path I want to follow. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this passage. Open up our eyes that we may see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God richly bless you as you serve him today.